0: Hey, if you've ever listened to Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay, we are blowing it out this month. They're doing three podcasts this week, including a special famous guest each week in the middle of the week. So three podcasts per week. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader, right first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today, learn more, and enter for your chance to win at michlobaltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. I did a new rewatchables, Taxi Driver. Me, Sean fantasy, Bill Hater. that happened. That is up. I think we have two coming next week. New, uh, episode of sports cards. Nonsense is up as well. They had Gary Vee, uh, famous, uh, investor slash cards person. He was on there. Don't forget about black girl Songbook as well. Those are our two new ringer releases. We have some really good stuff coming up in February, and March as well. Coming up, we're going to talk to the ringers, Kevin Clark about the lessons from Sunday Night Super Bowl. Wanted to mention, we taped this in the morning and a couple hours later got some devastating news that Therese Paler, the excellent, excellent, excellent writer and podcaster for Yahoo, that he passed away tragically at age 37. Don't know all the details yet, but... uh, I was a long time admirer of his work and Kevin was friends with him and talked football with him and knew him really well. And he's somebody we definitely would have talked about during the course of our conversation, rest in peace, condolences to his family and his colleagues. That's a really tough one. He was a really talented guy going to miss, uh, miss having him around in football season and just in general. So wanted to mention that after Kevin Logan Murdoch is going to come on. We're gonna talk about Steph and the Warriors. That is all next. All right, Kevin Clark is here. He's coming off uh, a very busy Super Bowl week. He did a bunch of slow news days, did a live podcast on Sunday night, then wrote a piece. You you went Peter King style. You have like a latte at three in the morning. What happened?
1: I did. I had the latest coffee I've had. I would say every Super Bowl I have maybe a 1 a.m. coffee. It's really the only time I do that. Um, but I was, right. I was feeling good.
0: Yeah, it's fun to jump on all the angles right after the game and then <laughs> as the hours pass, realize things you missed, things you didn't see, things you wish you had hit harder. Yeah, I think for me, thinking back in that game, and Sal and I were pretty definitive about, you know, the Bucks were better. They yeah. They had real matchup advantages. They deserved to win. They were a better team. The matchup, they're going to win that game most of the time. I think the part that I probably missed was, how many drops and misses and yeah. almost the chiefs had like the one time they get an interception and it happens when there's a penalty in another part of the field the plays where mahomes is scrambling for his life you know trying to create the play out of nowhere and the guys actually had a chance to make them over and over again their guys just never made the play so i guess my first question would be if we played this game 20 times How many times would the Bucs win? I'm going to say 15 to 16, considering the offensive line deficiencies of the Chiefs. But I do think there's scenarios where the Chiefs win.
1: If you run the entire scenario, that means Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley at tackle and all that stuff. I would say 17 to 18. I just okay. didn't see much of a path forward because I think you know, we've talked a lot about Todd Bowles the last few days in his defensive game plan. I promise you, Todd Bowles did not invent trying to take away the deep pass from Patrick Mahomes. But what he was able to do, first of all, is scheme the pressure up front, which was amazing. But also the linebackers were so good and so fast. And the ability for Devin White to to take away some of those underneath stuff. Um, Levante David, obviously we saw him stick with Kelsey on some of those plays. And so I think that there was just more depth there at this point in the season for the Bucs. And I just think that the fact that Mahomes is playing a different game. I mean, 29 pressures for Mahomes, four for Brady. That was the biggest disparity on record ever. They couldn't find a game, not a Super Bowl, a game where there was that big a disparity. Like I, Mahomes, at some point, we we've spent the last two years being like, okay, he's like a John Wick. Just give him a pencil, everything's yep. gonna be fine. And we saw the limits, and like that's fine. He's human. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen. But the limits are Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley and a patchwork offensive line and guys in his face. And I don't think, I don't think there needs to be some sort of reckoning with how we view Patrick Mahomes. Um, because I think he played a damn good game. You know, I heard Chris Sims talk about it this morning. He was like there's guys who would have just bailed out in that situation and just been like all right you know what I'm going to do I'm going to take easy passes and just try to get my completion percentage up check down check it, down yeah check yeah. down make make it a little better make it a, you know make the stats a little better he was trying to win he was like uh, you know vertical or horizontal against the field and and chucking the ball down the field like that was it was kind of an amazing performance when you consider the context of the whole thing yeah,
0: and then you think like if there's four or five plays, one or two penalties, it seems like everything – it just wasn't the Chiefs day and it happens in football. And then the injury luck piece of it, which is why it's so hard to repeat. We haven't had a repeat since the uh 4 Pats when they beat the Eagles. And, you know, the goal – I always used to say this with the Pats. The goal is to get into that inner circle of six teams that could win for a given year. Yeah. And if you can get in that inner circle year after year – Then there's some shit that might go down, right? You might have a tip. You might be like that Denver-Baltimore game when the guy basically screws up on the long pass, Flacco gets it, all of a sudden Baltimore's winning the Super Bowl. You might have your left tackle and your right tackle go down, and all of a sudden you pass the injury point of no return. The Chiefs have now been here three years in a row. What's a realistic number for them to crack that inner circle for you? Kelsey's 31. Tyreek, I think they need to pay at some point. Uh, Mahomes, he, they've already they paid, paid him a couple of
1: years ago. Yeah. yeah. They so pay, they pay what's real, years what's ago. realistic? So they have 10 years of Mahomes. He signed through to 2031. What are you going to be doing in 2031, Bill? I, do, <laughs> I hope I'm just on a beach somewhere. That'd
0: be my goal. I just <laughs> sipping a daiquiri, just thinking back on my career. <laughs> so
1: I talked to, <laughs> How's that Brett sound? Beach, but she, I like that. Okay. Um, I talked to Brett Beach, the Chiefs GM, about this last week, and I said, how do you view this? And he said, well, we have the best quarterback in football and a Hall of Fame coach, and what we know is that that's the best starting point of anybody, right? And But that's not enough. And so the job for him now is he's got to fix the offensive line. We don't know if Mitchell Schwartz, what his situation is. We don't know. Uh, Lawrence DuVernay-Tardif is opting probably back in. Uh, he, yeah. he, he's a doctor who was fighting COVID this year. Um, so presumably he's back next year. Uh, Eric Fisher, who knows about that injury. So he's got to figure out this offensive line because again, we saw the limits of what Mahomes can give you. And don't so, you think Fisher's I, a cross off though? Torn Achilles for an offensive lineman. Oh yeah, it, it feels like he's he's not back no, I, next I, year. I, I'm saying I'm saying do they go out and they try to draft his replacement? Yeah, wh- right. Whatever it is. I mean, they, they, it's just it's a long term situation now, and I think part of it with Mahomes, that deal is pretty friendly. I think he, even when the, the the quote unquote big money kicks in, it's still behind like Kirk Cousins by a large degree. It's still behind Carson Wentz. Like the 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 price tag is huge, but the year to year cap hits don't get messy for a while. And even when they do get messy, like, wait until you see like Kyler Murray's extension in three years. Like the quarterback value, I always talk about how it's like Manhattan real estate, right? Like it's always climbing. There, there's, there's yeah. the time to get in is right now. So if you can get a quarterback extension done, you do it. So to answer your question about the window, I they they have a little bit of work to do, but they have the the pieces are there. So I I I think they're going to be there the whole time if they have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and a little bit of help they're going to be there I I I just don't see a path where that that doesn't get them into the final four pretty much every year which is how it view Belichick and Brady
0: worst case scenario it's the Patriots from like 2008 to 14 where every year they're 12 and four 13 and three and they're just in the mix but that I I do think there were some missed opportunities for them. And that Clyde Edwards Hilaire pick, which I loved. And you think like you look at, I I was more interested the last two days thinking about how the bucks built this team and some of the moves they made or didn't have to make. Right. And one of them is because the Patriots did this too with Sony Michelle. Does it make sense to draft a running back in the first or second round when every year there's a Leonard Fournette just popping up or, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, the Le'Veon Bell or, you know, whoever there, there's always somebody you can get. Right. And then you look at a team like Miami who lost a million running backs and the next one comes up and they're, they're all kind of relatively the same. Like what if they had spent that pick on a tackle or, you know, on some guard or some offensive line or Antoine
1: Winfield or Um, Antoine Winfield. Yeah.
0: yeah. D back or, or offensive line. I think sometimes these teams get cute. I know the Patriots did. I wonder if the chiefs got, got a little cute there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think you can definitely criticize that pick, and I think we saw we saw some of that. But I also think that the Bucs just played a hell of a game, and they were a bit of a bust. Though we had Sean Payton on Sunday last week, and he was like, "You guys need to be really careful about picking against a team that's won three straight games on the road." Like, yeah. we've when we see this, there's normally a reason for that. And I was so impressed with with just the Bucks and their depth and their team building because you know one one move I just killed was Vita Vea in the 2018 first round i hated that pick because yeah. he was a run stuffer and i derwin james was on the board and i'm sitting there you know me and my shtick and i'm saying well that's you know that's not where the game is going what are you gonna do with Vita It turns out vitae is just awesome and then yeah. listening to some of the smart people the last couple of days like they just they just stack talent here i mean like and i think a lot of times with the bucks roster in particular you can reverse engineer and say okay you look at the super bowl champions and you say okay the Broncos in 2015, Von Miller on a rookie deal, you know X, Y, Z, and were cheap. The, the Ravens, are, you know, in 20 the year they won with Flacco, uh, a bunch of cheap guys everywhere. We're going to look back, especially at the end of this offseason, and say, okay, well they had Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett on a franchise tag, and Levante David in his last year. All of these guys are going to get more expensive. Um, the roster and, was peaking, and I don't with the Chiefs. Well, in you particular, would love that De-
0: Devin White
1: as a fifth pick in the draft a, on exactly. that contract, and Vita Vey- yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, tons of cheap guys everywhere. And the rookies, Antoine Winfield and all those guys. But what I'm saying is I don't think we're going to look back on this Chiefs roster and be like, oh, this this roster was peaking. Like, I just think like, the Chiefs ran into the wrong roster at the wrong time. They were built for speed. Todd Bowles was an absolute badass on Sunday. I, I just think the only thing that could have the only thing that could have happened was Mahomes played out of his mind. And that possibility was removed by the offensive line. And that was also the
0: case for basically everybody taking the Chiefs, where they were acknowledging everybody. all of these different reasons not to take them. Like, but still, Mahomes, it'll be fine. And I just think in football, it's really hard because we've seen that with Rodgers a few times over the years. Yeah. It's really hard to just say, well, no, they have this guy, it will be fine. So it's a <laughs> team sport, you need a lot of guys. We don't talk about
1: offensive line play until we need to, and we really needed to. And I, I, I feel bad because I felt like I should have seen this coming. And right, like that, we should have, we as the media should have been warning people. Like this is a really big deal. The problem is we just don't know with Mahomes when the dam will burst because we've seen him get out of so many different situations. He's football as MacGyver. Nothing yeah. seems to matter. He's just gonna get out of it. Um, I was disappointed, quite frankly, in the lack of adjustments from Andy Reid. I mean, I saw a stat that 92% of his plays were in five-man protection. And I understand why they do that. Because they they like getting guys out into routes and they want Travis Kelsey out there and they want their their backswing out of the backfield whatever it is but when your quarterback is just getting mauled and it looks like do you ever used to play the old Maddens where you could piss off your friend by just just jumping offsides just for a play right. just for a play like that every single game like offsides was turned off or it looked like in some cases it was like a jailbird uh, screen and the jailbreak screen and they were intentionally letting them through but it was just bad offensive line play. And so when when you had those situations, I mean, there, there was just nothing nothing to do. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that we we probably should have seen all of this coming, um, including, by the way, Bowles' adjustment, which I think is one of the best adjustments we've had in the past couple of years in a big game, which is where he, he, blitz, he blitzes 40% of the time over his entire career. And then after week 12, when these two teams played, he was like, nah, I'm not doing it. And he blitzed 9%. And it reminds me a little bit, I was thinking about this with, with adjustments, it reminds me of Wilder Fury too, where mm. Deontay Wilder in the first matchup was just really getting the timing down on Tyson Fury, getting the timing down, understanding when to throw that second hit. And in the second one, Fury was like, Deontay Wilder has me figured out, and if I do the same timing and the same rhythm, I'm going to get my head knocked off and came out with a totally different strategy. And Todd Bowles did that. He came out in week 12, and and Tyreek Hill kicked their ass. And he changed everything up. He went two deep safeties. He schemed up the pressure up front. He knew, he knew how to stay with those vertical routes with Tyree kill using those extra bodies that weren't blitzing. I thought it was awesome. The bucks are amazing.
0: I tried to warn people on the red hot million dollar picks on the smoking hot million dollar picks on the lifestyle altering million dollar picks that this chiefs offensive line thing. I went through it like Remmers, the left tackle was
1: on eight teams. The he was the was guy was that let Von Miller... He was the guy that va- <laughs> yeah. vaunted... Von Miller was a superstar. People are Mike Remmers turned him into a super-duper star in the Super yeah. Bowl. It was the fifth-year anniversary of that. If Mike Remmers is invited to another Super Bowl, he should decline. It's. <laughs>
0: uh, I was thinking about the team building that the Bucks did, though, and then Brady's yeah. decision to pick that roster. And you know, compared to the Patriots roster that he left and it's, there's this big existential crisis going on in new England. My dad (laughs) who was visiting was telling me yesterday that my uncle Bob and my uncle Don are in a big fight. And I, it actually seems like they're actually mad at each other about whose fault it was that Brady left. And I think uncle Don blames Belichick and uncle Bob blames Brady. And this is what, this is this, the Pats fans are all looking at this going, well, wait a second. We, you know, we, we could have still won this with this guy. What happened? And the reality is you couldn't have because you didn't have a roster that was 30% as good as this Bucks roster. I wonder what what's your opinion on this? Brady's trying to figure out what team to go to. How much Intel does he have on how good the entire roster is because when he did it, we all looked at it like, oh, he's going there because of Godwin and Mike Evans, but you look, watch the Super Bowl, and Godwin and Mike Evans are barely involved. It was the <laughs> defense. It was the yeah. tight ends. It was Fortnette. Uh, it was, yeah. it was Jones. How much do you think he looked at this as, oh, I'll just go there because I'll have weapons. They'll let me do what they want. Or
1: do you think he actually studied their roster because they had so many blue chippers? Sure. So uh, and Tristan Wirfs is someone who wasn't on the roster when Brady went, who ended up being one of the best players in the field on Sunday night. Um, It's a great question. So I I think that he went for the weapons. I don't know if he saw the entire vision. And I think that he probably understood how fast this defense could be and how nasty the front could be. Um, I don't I think that generally you you look at someone like Mike Evans, who I think had 15 deep receptions this year from Brady alone. And Edelman, over the last two years for Brady in New England, had 11 deep receptions. That was number Mm. one. Uh, James White in 2019, I believe, was the highest graded receiver for Tom Brady. Like, that was not sustainable. Was it Nikhil Harry? (laughs) That was not sustainable. So you throw him into this Tampa Bay offense where guys can get open down the field. Bruce Arians' offense are supposed to make mistakes really early on. We talked about that with Carson Palmer on the Ringer NFL show on Friday. But I I think that there's just, with him... Every GM right now in the league believes you have to be all in every year. Like it was a completely revolutionary concept, Bill, like five years ago when Lesnead was like, we're going to be like the Golden State Warriors adding Durant. He literally said that. And and then every GM was like, wait, with the way the cap works and the way trades work and the way, you know, players want to move around now, uh, we can just be all in every year. Like something I talked to to a bunch of GMs about. And so the Patriots are we're not all in this year. What was Brady going to do there? Um, and we, you know, Brady Belichick went on Charlie Weiss's radio show and said they were capped out and all that stuff. And I understand that. And they, they, they did, they, they had one of the best runs of all time. Um, and, and Belichick is probably the best team builder of his era. But right now, the game is trending towards GMs who can stack the deck for their teams. And Jason Light did that in 2020. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen the next five years and, and whether Belichick adjusts a little bit. What I'm saying is, is that the, the, Patriots were able to benefit from the fact they were window proof and they kept it open. Like I remember someone saying this about Arsene Wenger. It was Billy Bean actually said this, but Arsene Wenger, the famous soccer manager, he manages like a a, a guy who's going to run the team for a hundred years. Okay. Yeah. Belichick viewed it the same way. Okay. And I don't think a lot of GMs right now look at the hundred year window anymore. They look at the two year window. And right now, a lot of the teams that are winning are looking at the two year window.
0: Well, so the Bucks. Box- because, you know, I have some Brady people in my life. I I've, yeah. I get some intel about Brady's thinking from time to time. I think Brady's thought was that they were going to be good this year and they had a chance, but next year was going to be the year. That once he was there for a full year, the chance to throw with everybody, get the system in, figure out all this stuff, that they're going to be awesome next year. And you see some of the behind-the-scenes video. There was that one, the defensive back took that Instagram video in the locker room of everybody celebrating and Brady just like calmly packing stuff, getting his Jersey <laughs> ready. And he walked yeah. over. He's like, look at this guy. This is my first Super Bowl ever. This guy's won seven. He's already preparing for tomorrow's workout. And, uh, I think, I think Brady really feels like they can win two in a row here and that they're going to be better than they were this year. And And it, it does seem conceivable now. The catch on this is what we saw with the chiefs i think it's really hard to win two in a row for a bunch of reasons not just injury luck the incentive thing and this was one of my cases for why i picked tampa it was the biggest game of just about everybody's life on the tampa sideline and for the chiefs they had just played the biggest game of their life the year before so the incentive piece i don't know is there but from a roster standpoint it seems like just about everybody comes back right uh for tampa yeah. They have
1: some they have some big free agents. Um they have Levante David and Shaq Barrett is a free agent. Chris Godwin's a free agent. So But they can I, franchise I th- tag Godwin or David, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Barrett, I think, will command a lot more money. I mean, the the, the good thing for Barrett, I would say, uh so first of all. In general, the fact that the cap is not rising next year to the degree it has the last couple of years is probably big for free agents. And a player a player might say, "Hey, instead of testing free agency, I'll take a one year deal here or whatever and 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 see where we're at. Um, but yeah, th- they can they can sort some of this stuff out. Um, I think that this is going to be a historic year for kind of middle-class players becoming available because of the salary cap crunch. When you look at teams that are $40, $50, 60000000 million over the cap and are just going to shed salary. And so there's going to be a lot of guys who we don't expect to, to be available, available. And I think that's going to be a huge team building thing. I will say, I don't want to steer this towards the Patriots bill, but $60 million in cap space for the Pats. Belichick loves those mid-tier veterans. There's going to be a lot of them available because of the cap crunch. I'm just saying, there's a path. There's a path. Right. Um,
0: I had a couple more questions based on this, but let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little double header, little NBA double header, right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, five thirty. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by simply safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. I have it in my home. It's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Coming back, talking about the team building and the cap stuff. Yeah. Um one thing with the Patriots where you mentioned earlier that they basically had to throw away this year from all these decisions they made for a couple of years, plus a couple of guys opted out. It just was the year mm-hmm. from hell. And now it's coming back with, you mentioned 60 million plus in cap space, the cap's flat. There's going to be a lot of middle tier dudes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, on Sunday's podcast with Sal, I was saying how this is Belichick's dream, was to be in the in the guy in the fantasy auction, who has ninety three dollars left when everybody yeah. else has twenty eight dollars left <laughs> and he's just going one dollar over on a seven dollar receiver and one dollar over on the defense yeah. and and he's just it almost feels like he threw it last year so he could be in this position but th- how many teams are actually in that position with them because there's there's like three right that are like over
1: fifty the jets the jets have a ton of cap space um the I mean the, the teams that just never spend will, will have a will have a lot of cap space. It's the Jaguars, Colts, and Jets are number one through three, then the Pats, then the football team, the Bengals, and then the Bucks, and then the Dolphins. So the Colts the are the
0: most the Colts are the most interesting one because they need to get a quarterback, but they have a lot of talent. Like if you were gonna argue yes, this year's Tom Brady goes to a team and makes them better and vaults them up, and all of a sudden they're a Super Bowl team, it would be the Colts or the Rams would be in the finals for that conversation because the Rams, I think, were handcuffed by their quarterback. They addressed it with Stafford. Whether he's good enough to flip it, we'll see. But the Colts, I think, are the most interesting
1: we-need-a-QB team, even more interesting than the Pats. I would say that it depends on how they view Carson Wentz because I don't think Carson Wentz is the missing piece for the Colts here. And I worry because he's worked with Frank Reich that there's going to be an impulse to do that. I, I just... I don't know, man, giving up, especially if it goes for a first round pick, I, I, I would not do that. So th- I think the Colts have a definite pathway. I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks available. Like I think it was Schefter who said there might be 18 quarterback switches over the next couple months. And then you think about how different there is a report that maybe Derek Carr is available and then that would open up the Raiders to, to try to get a big fish like Deshaun Watson. So I think that there's just a lot there. And then do the Pats or the Colts get a, a kind of second tier quarterback within that? Um, so I just think that the, the moving pieces are, are kind of wild. And, and what happens if, you know, what, how does the league view Derek Hart? Russell Wilson, according to Jason Lock and four might not be happy in Seattle. How would that change it? If he wants to move on, um, Deshaun Watson is in the weirdest situation. I can remember where the character coach is taking control of the franchise. Um, I, how, does, 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 does he get out this summer? Um, and I hope he does, but I, I just think that there's, I've never seen an offseason where there's so many questions about this, and but I do agree that the the Colts are the most interesting. And then the Patriots, they've got so much work to do, um, but they can use that cap space wisely. The Pats fans are not getting their hopes up because we know how this goes with Belichick,
0: where it's like, oh, we're going to make a run. He's been waiting for this. And then yeah. he just keeps trading backwards. He doesn't splurge on anybody. He gets a bunch of small dudes. He extends
1: contract. And all of a sudden, our well, $60 is gone. I agree with that. I would also say, you know, when you talk about the 2020 season with Belichick, you, I don't know if you saw the quote from Matt Light in the middle of the season where he was basically just like, Belichick thinks this year is a joke and he's not really preparing for it in any meaningful way. Like, obviously, he tried to win every single week and he's doing Belichick stuff. And And early on, the first two weeks with Cam Newton, you and I were were smitten. Um, but yeah, I I also think that, the biggest advantage the Patriots have in most phases of the game outside the quarterback position when Tom Brady was there is Bill Belichick. And that means training camp. That means Wednesday practices. That means scouting on Monday night. And, I, you know, I talked to Rodney Harrison about this before. He was just like, there were plays we practice on July 31st. We'd be like, why the hell are we doing this? And then, you know, divisional weekend, it comes up and all of a sudden he's just got a completely different um, you know, he's got to from perspective on why they were why they went through the things they went through and why they practiced this situation football thing. And you didn't get any of that this year. And so I think that there weren't a lot of scenarios in which the Patriots were ever gonna be successful this year. So I do kind of think I wonder if, going off of Matt Light's comments, if Belichick will be a little bit more refreshed in 2021 if things return to normal.
0: It'd be fun if he took the Brady thing completely personally
1: was like I'll oh, I'll show you who is who is the most what, important what, I'm guy. not even sure what does that mean
0: exactly I don't know <laughs> I don't know I don't think he takes anything personally I think he's dead inside he just
1: try he just tries to win football games that's it do I don't you think, think he cares about okay. narratives someone asked me that this, this morning how do you think Belichick watched the game on Sunday like how do you think he viewed it was he angry was he upset was he rooting for Tom Brady? No I I guarantee he was
0: at least rooting for Gronk how could he not love Ooh. Gronk? Gronk was amazing for us. How how could Belichick not root for Gronk in a Super Bowl? I think he would have to. I'm sure he was watching it for trends, uh, yeah. filing away little things, things to learn, studying how the Bucks, you know, went against the Chiefs and stuff like that. But I I look at that Bucks roster now, and we kind of saw it. We just didn't know if it was going to gel in time. But I felt this way after round two that the 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 dudes they had on the defense it seemed like an unusual amount of riches that hadn't gelled together that, but you could see the Mm -hmm. pieces. And then when you see what they were... Like, Kelsey's got to be like, wow, I've never been defended like that. He had David and then Devin White roaming around too, and no way to go deep. And I don't know, they shut him down. It was almost like watching a basketball game where they're like, oh, we can defend this dude one-on-one on on the right side, and he's not going to score. So So, I was wondering, like, if Belichick was coming away from it like with this new intel on how to defend the Chiefs because that's the team he has to beat.
1: So it's interesting to me because Travis Kelsey is a cover two killer. Like he destroys teams when there's cover two underneath. Like space is the lifeblood of modern football and when Travis Kelsey has it underneath, he tends to take advantage. The problem on Sunday was that not only were the, the Bucks able to take away the deep passes but the Mahomes is running for his life as soon as he got the ball. And so he wasn't able to find Kelsey. Um, There was a pretty good piece on PFF today about that, about just how this should have been, if you look at the scheme, the Kelsey game. And through the three quarters, I think he had 50 or 60 yards. He ended up having a nice game with 133 yards, but it it didn't end up mattering. Um, But there there were opportunities there. It was just the pressure was too much. And so I don't know if there's necessarily a blueprint. I mean, it almost reminds me a little bit of, of Brady after those Super Bowl losses against the, the Giants where, okay, the blueprint is to get pressure on Brady. Well, okay, who, who wasn't trying to get pressure on Brady? Um, obviously, the, the, the two safety thing and having fast linebackers, that's going to help. I just think it's going to be hard for a team to circle this game and say, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And I would also say on, on the other side of the ball, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned the basketball thing because a couple of the 49ers writers said that last year, they had circled the Chiefs defense. I think they led the NFL in defensive holding penalties last year and they said if we get these calls we're going to win. And then mm. the refs put away their flags in the Super Bowl. They came out this year and those tight calls went against the Chiefs. And so you you just look a little bit at at just how um the game was officiated, uh, a couple of the the little margin things. I think that it's it's going to be tough for me to sit here and say, and I love extrapolating things from small things like like one game, but it's going to be tough for for a guy like Belichick to say, okay, n- now I know how to go forward.
0: Well, one thing I think we can extrapolate is Brady laid out this blueprint. Kyle, turn the video machine on. I feel this could be a social break. <laughs> I can feel it right now. T- tell them to get ready. Um, I think Brady gave the blueprint now to somebody like Aaron Rodgers, where he's like, this is how to do it. Don't stay in the situation where you're not totally happy with where you are, where the, where you're at odds with their draft decisions, where because you're so good, the team is happy with just going 11 and five, 12 and four, 13 and three. And being in the mix every year, you can actually control your own destiny. If they're not going to lay out some huge five year, awesome commitment to you. And just jump teams and find some roster that's good for you and do what I did. And if I'm Rogers, I'm looking at this going, well, if San Francisco doesn't have a quarterback with all the talent they have a year from now, maybe I just jump there. If the Packers aren't going to give me a shitload of money. So I, I I do wonder if there's a blueprint now created for that.
1: Are we sure that's not the LeBron blueprint?
0: Yeah, I guess it is the LeBron blueprint. Because that's what okay. he did. I mean, he really did that in 2014. And everybody's like, he's coming home. I was I was a lone voice in the wilderness. Like, this has nothing to do with him coming home. He's going because that's the best basketball <laughs> situation. Miami was a dead end, and he's going to a team that has Kyrie and the number one pick in the draft and all these other pieces. Like it's a better basketball situation, which I think is why Brady left the Patriots. It was a bad football yes. situation. It was Without time for a doubt. him to leave. I don't know if Rogers is there with Green Bay. They're certainly better than the Patriots were last year. But I do wonder if they're not gonna commit to him. Does he look at what Brady did and go, hmm, maybe I could do that. Maybe I'm a hired gun for two years and that's how I get my second Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, there's no, there was no De- Devonte Adams in New England, and that, that makes a pretty big difference. So yes, the answer is yes. This provides a blueprint for guys who are in their 30s who aren't being maximized. Um, that goes for everybody, because we talked about the all-in thing a little bit earlier. Uh, you need to have, there's a barrier for entry into the Super Bowl at this point, and it's having an incredible roster and the quarterback being the final piece. I think there's been 40 years of football where there were teams looked at their quarterback and said, you have to play like a superhero for us to win. And I think that the operating mode here for some of these teams now is let's stack the roster so that they su- the quarterback doesn't have to play like a superhero. Um, no Garoppolo. One... The Garoppolo yeah. almost winning a Super Bowl is the best yes. example of that. Yes. Kyle Shanahan. Uh, McVeigh. Very uh, close. Yeah. I mean, my my, my thing in, in the last 10 years is no one wins a Super Bowl because they drafted a great quarterback. They win a Super Bowl because they figured out what to do with their great quarterback. And so I think uh, when you look at those things and then the Russell Wilson report on Tuesday morning that he might be getting unhappy, I think it reminds me a little bit of like European soccer where it becomes more about, hey, I want to play for this coach. I want to play in this system. Uh, I want to play for this team. And I want a new challenge. You hear that all the time with European soccer players. They say, you know, they're 28 and they say, I I want a new adventure, a new challenge or whatever. And I think that we're going to move away from, okay, I'm going to be a one a one franchise guy. I mean, like Deshaun Watson rightly is looking around and seeing Jack Easterby running his organization and saying, what the hell is this? Have you seen these videos of Jack Easterby? How did this guy become get his his hostile takeover of his franchise? Like, I, I don't really get it. Um you, but you don't, think, you don't think you don't think that Team Chaplin should run an NFL franchise?
0: Is that your just, expert opinion?
1: But I just I think that some of these quarterbacks are correctly saying we have a lot of leverage, even though we have these yeah. long contracts, we have a lot of leverage. And if you're not helping me, I'm out. Like there's no reason to you only play 14, 15 years of high-level football. There is no reason to sit around and say, Yeah, I'll work with Jack Easterby, or I'll work with this offensive coordinator who sucks, or I'll work with this offensive line that sucks. No leave who cares the
0: different but the difference with NBA and NFL is in the NFL when you have the big contract the chance to get it you kind of have to grab it because of the injury risks yes and the NBA I mean Durant got a max contract after he tore his Achilles like you know the max contracts are going to be there if you're a top 10 guy so mm-hmm. I look at the Watson thing where he grabbed that contract kind of knowing that it wasn't a great situation but he kind of had to grab it and then the other difference is in the NFL it's so hard to get out of the to, to deal the dude, if he wants to get dealt because of the, like what, like what's going on with Philly right now with Wentz, what happened with the Rams with Goff where they have to basically give somebody a number one, just to take the contract away. So I, I wonder, like, I don't know why you must have an opinion on this. Why the NFL makes it so difficult to trade players. Why haven't they, come up with like one or two wrinkles that would allow for more movement? And if they did that, would that be a good thing for the NFL? Or is it actually good that we have a protection
1: from too much movement? So there's, NFL franchises are incredibly conservative entities um, as far as just risk-taking, right? And they don't like spending extra money. They don't like huge cash payrolls. And I'm talking about the past 50 years, okay? And in the last five years, that started to change. And I would say, that there weren't a lot of ways to ha- there weren't a lot of good ways to facilitate player movement because teams didn't care about player movement okay and these huge dead cap charges and all that stuff if you look now look at the rams and how many dead cap charges they take that are just massive goff brandon cooks they don't care they don't care saints uh, don't care I, either right what, the saints, saints don't care they're they're doing like i the Saints run have the same I think have the same general philosophy that led to the 2008 financial crisis. Like just whatever, <laughs> we're just take it you can take this contract whatever. Um, Steelers, Steelers
0: are the other one that are are pretty aggressive. Like they're the Steelers, they're like 40 well, the Steelers, 50 million
1: over now. Yeah, well, the Steelers also took a huge dead cap hit with Antonio Brown. They were they were like, fine. I mean, this is all, like, if you were to tell me there were four franchises that got really into GameStop two weeks ago, I'd be like, that, <laughs> that's fine. We're good. I, I understand that. Um, no, I mean, I, I I think that the teams are just getting more aggressive now and are saying, I think there's so many teams now that are looking at the rules and being like, wait, why? Why is it bad if we can keep it? if under the cap to take a dead cap charge why do we need in the rams case why do we need first round picks whatever i think norms are being challenged and i don't necessarily think that the nfl is used to that and so why i, I think that there just hasn't been a lot of aggressive gms we you know when first round picks started to get traded a lot um three years ago like the Khalil Mack trade the jamal adams trade the jalen ramsey trade two first round picks. I mean, that was not the price of a superstar because superstars didn't get traded and you had to go back to the Jay Cutler trade for a trade of that magnitude. And so I don't think that there were even valuations put on these guys because no one considered trading them. And I think there were a couple of moves that, that really, uh, Pushed the envelope. I think the Brock Osweiler trade from uh, from Houston to Cleveland was one of them, where they took on Brock Osweiler's contract and a second round pick. And yeah. I, I think you started to see teams get more creative. You think about the the Saints and Jadevian Clowney last year. If you followed that, where they were going to sign Clowney by having another team sign him and then do a sign in trade for a pick. And so the Saints were capped out, and they they, they were going to figure out how to get Clowney. And then they found out the NFL was probably not going to allow them to do that. But you're just going to see more and more teams do this because they're staring at the cap. They're staring at dead cap charges. They're staring at contracts that they know can be finessed under the cap and and they're going to figure it out. So I think as the players get more comfortable moving and franchise quarterbacks get more comfortable moving, kind of what you said with the Brady model, we're going to see more teams who are willing to figure it out. So on the one hand, congrats to the
0: Rams because I do think they've stumbled onto something with this, what do we care about first round picks if we're yeah. one of the eight best teams every year? And there's huge argument between the 22nd pick and the 60th pick in your average NFL draft, like DK Metcalf being a great example. Once you get past like the top 12, it's a fucking crap shoot. So they see that on the other hand, it's hard for me to give too much credit to a team that traded like a first round pick for Brandon cooks and, and, you know, gave Goff. The money they gave him, which was inexplicable as it was happening, so I, I I don't feel like they're like the savviest team of all time. But I do think they're looking at this specific thing the right way, where it's like, all right, well,
1: we'll just get good players <laughs>
0: like, and just take a over bunch the twenty eighth square.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and also just take a bunch of swings. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone is batting a 1,000 here. I mean, think about how many Belichick – I mean, Belichick got the first-round pick back for him, but think about Belichick trading for – But that's the income. thing.
0: If he had done yeah. this with his first-round picks from 2017 yeah. on, we would have been in a much better
1: position. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm in total agreement with you. I think that the, the Rams have figured out something. I don't know if it's going to work. I think this, just the idea of having Stafford is important because I think that they didn't have a Super Bowl window until – a week ago. Um, and now I think they do. And I, I just think that there was a limit on golf. And I don't, I think that that ceiling uh, goes so much higher now with Stafford. And I think, I think McVeigh's a really good coach. I really like that roster. I think that they're probably going to be too. in the final four this year.
0: Yeah, I would, I agree with that. I actually think they could have made it this year. I think if they didn't have the QB injuries, if, if golf was healthy, it was doable. I still think the right team made it. But I think it was doable. I think they could have hung with the Bucks with a healthy quarterback. I, think
1: I don't know that, if they would have won. Their philosophy is interesting. And I will say that the one defense of the golf contract, I will say. Plus Donald got became, hurt. He became eligible for an extension when they were at the, the – the month they were in the Super Bowl. Like I remember talking to their front office guys about it. And it's like, I don't know. No, everyone keeps saying that a team needs to start trading in their first-round quarterback and never signing them. And to an extension, and I just think that it's going to take a really bold franchise to to make the first move on that one. It just hasn't happened. Um, but yeah, to to, to your point, uh, Aaron Donald getting hurt—that was you know him being at whatever it was sixty percent capacity. It, we saw the dominance of of Aaron Donald. Um, I feel like and, he was forty percent, whatever he was. He wasn't normal, and we saw what happens to the Rams when that happens. Yeah, but he's so um, good. I mean, I, I saw a stat like that basically I think it was Stephen White who said this. Aaron Donald is so good. He's normalized comparing his stats to outside pass rushers, right? That's not supposed to happen. He does a different job than them. And that's all we do. Aaron Donald. I know that this is, we do podcasts all summer and stuff. We talk about how Aaron Donald's best player in football. I need to say this. Aaron Donald is the best player in football, Like That's it.
0: Right. Um, I'll be interested. The last piece of this will be, and it's going to happen in the NBA or the NFL. And everybody's like, well, the one thing that will always happen is, uh, an awesome guy in a rookie contract is always going to resign with his own team. It's they have the deck is stacked for the team to be able to jump in early, keep the guy. And he's got to take the money. It'll be interesting to see in the NBA or the NFL. Who's the first guy who's like, eh, I'm going to, I'm actually going to play this out, you know? And could that be Justin Herbert on the chargers? Could he just be like, yeah, fuck it. This, this franchise sucks. We're the black sheep team in LA. Nobody gives a shit and the New York Giants would give me 200 million if I jumped maybe I should do that maybe I'll make the money back
1: I think that the biggest the sort of Rosetta Stone for quarterback movement here is Kirk Cousins who Mm. reached for agency and understood that short contracts and we're talking to Kirk and his agent about this short contracts are your friend and the open market is your friend And so I think before we get into I'm not going to resign with you, maybe you get into I'm actually going to take a two year deal for forty five million dollars each year and you can't tag me afterwards because the franchise tag is the limiting factor in football. That's the reason there's anything Uh, that's like it would be NBA style, baseball style movement, whatever, even with the cap. If there was no franchise tag, you think about Aaron Rodgers. Who signed that extension a couple of years ago? They could have tagged him three times, so he was basically. Uh, in the, the numbers would have escalated every year, but he was. Basically, but you could hold out. The holdout would be you, the way to get it back. Sure. Well, I mean, the holdout as far as forcing a trade. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Um, and like, we might the Chargers are like, "Cool, Her-
0: Herbert, we'll give you a top five yeah. contract. You're staying." And he's like, "No, I'm I'm really leaving. You're going to yeah. have to get rid of me."
1: Right, but I, I think you could you could take the two year money. The, the money put in front of you and then say, don't tag me and then hit the open market. I think it's going to be more creative ways of getting close to the open market because that's when it actually the insane money comes in. And then if Herbert really wanted to leave, he could. Um, the problem is I, again, it wants Herbert, if they extend the fifth year option with the chargers and I, they certainly will. And then you get into three years of franchise tag. The franchise tag is the biggest part of any off any off season NFL transaction. And, that will remain true until an NFL player figures out how to get around it. Or I i mean, or or the NFLPA negotiates it out of the CBA, which isn't happening anytime soon.
0: All right. We're going to do something unconventional. I'm going to bring in our friend Logan Murgadoc to talk about the Warriors, just me and him. And then we're go- you and I are going to talk boxing and MMA really quickly to end the podcast, because I feel like okay. you, me and 10 other people are the only people that care. But we're going to do that. So we're going to take a break. <sighs> Logan Murdoch will be back. And then Clark is going to come back at the tail This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats, Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1500 pro and college teams. That's right. 1500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code SIMMONS for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, Bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises, and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn. cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax, knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Logan Murdoch is here. He's somehow been on the rewatchables, but not on this podcast. But we're changing that right now. He joined the Ringer last summer. He's got an awesome podcast with Rajah Bell that you can hear on the Ringer NBA show twice a week called The Real Ones. They've had some some good guests. Who's been your best who I don't want to say best guest, but who what guest gave you the most meat so far? The
2: most uh Sean Marion was really great. Sean Marion gave us it it felt like a therapy session for him. It was mm. one of those 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 interviews where you have questions to ask, but they just answer all the questions and all of their answers. And you just like, Oh, okay. Well then I'm just going to let this person talk. And he was great. Um, I think the, the one where I was like, Holy shit, this is happening. was the Tim Duncan podcast last, last month where I just, I didn't even believe it was going to happen until he came on the zoom. And I was like, Oh, it's Tim. Duncan. <laughs> hey, so, there's Tim Duncan. <laughs> there's <laughs> the seventh <laughs> best player of all time. Good to see you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. He, it, it that was great. Um, it's been great, man. We've had a lot of great guests, and um, it's only going to grow, man. I, I, lo- I love what we're doing over um, um, on the ruins with uh, me and Rasha.
0: So, for people who don't know, when uh we found Logan, he was basically covering the Warriors. You were doing some NBA stuff, too, but you were in the Bay, and you were there for that entire ride, especially the Durant years, and then uh everything kind of falling apart last year. And now they're in this weird... No man's land. The, re- the reason I want to talk about them because I realized something watching the Curry Doncic game on on Saturday night, which I really enjoyed. My dad was here. Um, it was on early on the on the West Coast. We kind of had yeah. dinner. We put it on. It was just like it was so much fun. And I realized, like, if I had to do it over again, if I could have one NBA do over, non Boston related from the last ten years of the NBA, it would be for Durant not to go to the Warriors because. <laughs> We lost out on Steph Curry as the John Wick in, a, you know, the Keanu and the John Wick movie of just like, I don't really care if Steph Curry wins the title or not. I just miss watching him as the best guy on a team. And yeah. because he's such an awesome teammate and I just, obviously everybody on this pod has heard me rave about Steph over the years. He rightly took a step a little bit sideways, let Durant kind of shared the steering wheel with Durant, especially in the mm-hmm. playoffs. A lot of their offense ran through Durant. I just miss this. I love seeing Steph Curry on a 45 and 37 team doing his thing. What is, what is your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I
0: feel, um,
2: I don't know, man. I feel a little cheated that it's happening right now because it's like one of, it feels like, feels like Kobe's oh five oh six year, right? Where he's literally their only offense on the team. Um, you You know, they're not going to win a title but he's he's probably at the peak right now of his powers right now and you're you're seeing he's playing like he the mvp year in uh, 15 16 right now but it doesn't matter because they're barely in the games it sucks when you have to see a player that good score 57 and they might win you know they might win and you have to see that guy i know you've seen a bill where the guy is walking off the floor and he's just his head is all down and stuff but he had one of the most legendary performances of all time. It's hard to watch that. It's been hard to watch Steph um, go through this right now. And honestly, man, it doesn't seem like there's really a light at the end of the tunnel right now, at least, um, to get back to that title contention right now. So it's been tough to watch him play um right now it's been great to see the highlights but it sucks to see like okay there's really no stakes there's nothing there's he's not gonna win a title he's probably not gonna get out of the first round if he gets to the uh the postseason it's it's been tough to watch from that regard the play has been awesome but the uh performance of the overall team has been has been not awesome
0: well the stakes are this is his this is his Avon Barksdale season, right? He's he's yeah. taking back his corners. Everybody kind of forgot how influential and incredible he was and kind of gravitated toward the Dame Leward, Trey Young. Um, and Dame, him and Dame, the stats are pretty close. But yeah, he there's heard it, yeah. there's something with Steph that will always be a little bit different. First of all, he was he was first. He invented a lot of this. You know, mm-hmm. but the the joy, especially when he has a heat check, is just different. It's like inclusive, and I'm not a Warriors fan. When he gets hot, I there's nothing I want to watch more on a basketball court than Steph feeling it. When he took the forty footer, and Mike Breen was like, "A bang!" He did, he did like the quick bang. I was like, "Yes, we're in. Steph is back." No, he got, he got Mike Breen to, to invent another
2: bang. Like he got it, but in, that's that's very rare. And I double banged him. The double bang them, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oops. But um, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was. Um, it's fun because when you see Steph do it, it's different than when it's different from any other player, including Dame Lillard. And I love Dame. You know, town business, all everything you want to say. You know, Brookfield, but. When Steph comes it feels like we're all watching it as a family on Twitter. Yeah. We're all we're all come together when when you hear get the text or you get the mention saying oh Steph's going off, it's time to turn on the television and it's time to get on your phone because you it's just a different vibe when you see that even from when Dame is doing it. Um I've never seen anybody capture a moment like that the way quite the way that Steph does when it was at Oracle and also when it was, you know, a little bit at Chase, but it's it's just a different vibe, man, when, when Steph goes off.
0: And the case has been made, we aren't inventing it here. Steve Curtis said it, that he's the Duncan of his generation as a teammate. Yeah. And yeah. um, and you got to cover him for those couple years. What where, what are some little examples that stick out with you with that? Um what whereas a great
2: teammate, um, hmm I think one of the moments is honestly with Durant you know when uh just just stepping aside to have somebody um you know who probably needs it to you know be the number one guy you know we, that's very rare that you see that you know we saw that with Dwayne Wade and LeBron but to have a guy that is um saying yo, know, you know what I'm gonna step aside and he really did that man he really um was very accommodating to to Kevin in a way that almost is like yo you still Steph bro like you're still this is still your city like And I was, I was, I was, um, I remember I asked uh, Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, who's really good and you know, you know, Steph more than anyone. Um, I asked him like a question, just straight up like, who has more love in in the Bay, in Oakland? And um, is it Dame or Steph in the Bay? And um, it's Steph, 100%, because you get to see Steph every night, but he's really a legend out here. And for him to step aside and be like, yo, Kev, I want you to have this team. Like, this is your. You can take the last shot. And that was a point of – that was, like, the only, like, mini-controversy early on was who was going to take the last shot because they were literally – it was like that scene in White Man Can't Jump when the game was on the line that first year with Durant and Steph where they're just passing the ball to each other. They're just like, no, you get it. No, you get it. No, you get it. And I think that shows kind of the type of teammate that Steph is because superstars don't do that, man. Superstars – and superstars' ego, rightfully so – will not allow them to do that many times is to to take a step back. And Steph did that. And um, he's probably going to be go down as one of the greatest teammates of all time. You know, and, that, and that's an example. And that's the one for everyone to see is stepping aside for a guy like Kevin Durant, um, who you could arguably say is better than Steph, uh, for him to say, nah man, I want to win a title. We need you to win multiple titles to make this legendary. I will do what I can to help you succeed and flourish. That's Steph Curry as a teammate.
0: Yeah, and you think the 2016 season, which was just iconic, and ends up Draymond punches LeBron in the balls, and it's a little <laughs> like the Tyree catch, right? That moment is like the Tyree catch for the Patriots where they're going to go 19-0, and 0, and then this guy catches a ball off his helmet, and you could feel the momentum shift. Yeah. Look, I— the Cavs should have beaten them one of those years. Um, yeah. If they beat, if if the Warriors take care of business in 2016 and Durant doesn't sign there, I don't think he joins a champion under any circumstances. The Cavs probably get them in 2017. So it, it kind of evened out one way or the other. The difference is Durant doesn't go there. And
2: yeah.
0: I, I think it's that such you, a fun you, what yeah. if to think like they don't get Durant. What does the next three, four years look like? I think it's great for Clay. You know, it's the two of them. And just who is that fourth guy? Do they re-sign Harrison Barnes that year? Do they let him go because he's too expensive? Do they re-sign him and then try to trade him? How does that all play out? It's a little more interesting than how it ended up playing out. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that, but it's funny. I don't even, I don't know how to say this, but it's like, I feel like if you ask anybody and poll anybody in that um, Warriors organization, if they were to do it over again, I think they do it the same way. And also, they, it's weird to say this, but I think they sacrifice that title every single time. Like, if they know that they're getting Kevin and it took, like, hey, man, the greatest collapse in history, and we get back-to-back titles, and we get peak—or not—I don't know if it's peak yet. We'll see. But we get prime Kevin Durant, yep. I think they'll take that. And maybe a chance to, for him to keep staying on our team, I think they'll take that. Three years of Kevin, one finals loss. The greatest run of all time,
0: one of the greatest runs of all time, they'll take that. Well, the irony is, if Durant doesn't get hurt, I think they win in 2019 pretty easily. Don't you think? I mean,
2: even if they, I think they win.
0: Also, if Steph hits that three in
2: game in game six, you know, and they go back to Toronto. It's still interesting. If Clay doesn't get hurt, it's still interesting. I think that they win. They, I think that they were starting to figure it out, and also. I would have picked the I know that they're going back to Toronto and I know that they were going back there for game 7 but if I would pick the I would have picked the Warriors 10 times out of 10 to go back in game 7 and and win all, just based off experience. They it's just something about that team where they just always pulled it out, man. And and that series they their two finals wins were in Toronto, and it was really kind of eerie how they won those games, man. Like right. the, the the Andre Iguodala three, right? And then they their backs are gets the wall in Game Five. Kawhi's just doing Kawhi stuff. You, it, I don't know if you were in Toronto that 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 game, but I didn't go. The the the, cr- the crowd. For that um that game five, it was one of those closeout crowds where they just smelled it. They just smelled the the champion, the championship trophy. And Kawhi's going off and then they just take the hearts out of that arena, man. Like Toronto mm. was shook after that game. And so for that to happen, and if they were to if the Raptors were to fumble the bag in Oakland, I truly believe the Warriors win that title, man. I do, I do. And um I don't know what that means. I think Kevin still leaves, but the, for that to happen, man, that would have been a, a great run,
1: and that would have been um, insane
0: if they won the title after Durant got hurt twice, and then right with you know like really honestly, so and many I think ripple right. effects. If Clay stays healthy, with the way Kawhi was starting to wear down as that series went along, and the pressure was starting to really wear on that Toronto team, and also like you mentioned, like the resilience of that 2019 Warriors team, where. That's really where you measure some of the greatest great teams is the road wins. And they had like game three in Cleveland in 17, uh, game three in Cleveland in 18. Same thing where Cleveland's like, they've got the crowd, they're getting the calls. Mm -hmm. This is like, this is usually the game that usually game three always usually goes the home team's way. And they were just like, fuck it. And they, they ripped their hearts out both games. And then the other one was game four in 2016. Which I think yeah. was the lost great Warriors win. that was the game when Draymond punches him at the tail end, but that was one of those. It was going to be two two, and the Warriors went to another level. I thought they were better that year.
2: Yeah, I think there, there was a lot of wins, and I know we're talking about finals, but I think there's another like signature win there with the. Um, I think it was also in 2019 when they beat the Houston, Yeah, when they beat the Rockets, game man, six. that was a that was one of the. I think Steve calls that Steve Kerr calls that the best win of the era, and um, that's without Kevin. They go in no, there. He,
0: and no, no, no. Steve Kerr said that was his favorite win of the entire era which yeah. i thought I, was like wow that's saying a lot you won titles with this team
2: but i think that like if i remember being in houston that night and it was just pandemonium i had never seen them that excited i remember a player a player telling me man like they, they, the, the Warriors hate the, hated the Rockets so much. I remember a player telling me after they won the next year on Christmas Day, I don't give a – this is how much they love the Rockets. I don't give a shit if we go – if we lose every game this year as long as we beat Houston. That's how much <laughs> they hated Houston. And um, for them to win like that – and the coverage around it was kind of – because they were – I never heard a team up 3-2 get so much vitriol, like, oh, it's over. You know, Kevin's gone. It's over. It's over. They were up 3-2, and they had already beaten the Rockets before. They were up in the series. They go back to Oakland and wrap it up in Game 7. But the the theater of that game, Steph... You know, being struggling in the first half and then for him to come back around and just ball out. And they just and when it comes down to it, all they had was Draymond and Steph pick and roll. It was a beautiful sight to see. And they just it was cash. And they just ended that Rockets team, man. They just ended that iteration of the Rockets in the last five minutes. That was that's personally one of my probably my favorite win of the of my time covering the Warriors.
0: It was also one of my favorite bets of 2019 because the Warriors were underdogs in that game. And it was like, this is great. Which I don't get. Which I don't get. (laughs) Especially with James Harden's history. Yeah. Um, You bring up something that I think is enjoyable about the current NBA where they can't overtly feud with each other, but there are all these little petty bullshit things, right? Like I knew about that, where the Warriors and their antipathy for Harden and the style of the Rockets. You forget Chris Paul, too.
2: You forget Chris Paul oh, too. Because yeah. they remember they they didn't like Chris just dating back to his Clipper days. They just it just disdained for Chris. So if you put those two, CP and James on the same team, I think the only people that they really liked on that team was uh was PJ Tucker, it was like the only one that they were like. Seems like okay, everybody likes like. PJ Tucker, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, we, but they did not like them. They did not like them.
0: There was also kind of an underground Steph LeBron something. Because yeah. Steph won those two MVPs, and I think LeBron you know, probably rightly feels like I'm the best guy every year. What the what why is this guy like the golden boy now? And you could feel it in some of those games. Like LeBron definitely, you know, when he would try to bully ball when he was frustrated, you know, I remember game one, which is like, yeah. that I've said before that was the best game in 2018. That was the best game I've ever seen LeBron play. There oh, you were at the, that game too, right? You were I at was at that game. At that game yo, and him and Steph was, got into it at the end. No, that was the that was the
2: greatest that, that was the greatest performance I've ever seen in person ever. LeBron's dropping – because it was – he was taking on everyone. Everybody. Every pick and roll. He gets pick and roll on Kevin. Ah, bucket. Has a pick and roll on Draymond. Ah, bucket. He he bounces into Kevon Looney. Uh, in the final minutes. That was a perfect game for him in 2018. And it felt – like, I felt cheated. I don't know if the – I don't know if the Cavs win the series, but I felt cheated that JR did what he did right there because that was a – a epic LeBron performance, and LeBron should have won that game. Like
0: you no. should be mad at George Hill; he missed the second free throw. <sighs> yeah, but you still get the ball George.
2: back. You still get the ball back, though, man. Like, yeah, I get it. You still get the ball back and have a chance. And you pass to LeBron or call timeout, bro. Like, but that well, was a great were, the other
0: thing that was great about that was LeBron had whatever you know whatever he had going with Steph, which Steph was very aware of. And then yeah. you have the LeBron KD thing, and you have KD really honestly believing he's the best forward in the league and, rightfully and that when so, he goes right? against yeah when he goes against lebron it's like i'll either play him to a draw or i'm slightly better than him i could i could score more than him and defensively i can handle him and lebron went mm-hmm. in that first game like you're not better than me and put up the 51 but then that game broke him and then who knows it's- when he hurt his hand i don't know
2: <laughs> it's funny it's like it was whenever the Warriors played the Cavs. Obviously, there was there was a bit more angst going in because you know the Warriors love going up against LeBron, but specifically with Kevin and LeBron, like Kevin loves Bron, but there's always a thing, There's always a bit of a, like a like mm, he has this with LeBron. He has this with Giannis too, where he's just like. Oh, fuck this. It's my time to show that I'm the best player in the fucking league. That's that's literally his intensity level before he plays that. And you see yeah. that in regular season games. Um, I remember one time, uh, I think it was a 2018 game, when they played in Cleveland. There's a play where... He, Le, he um, there's a fast break play where Kevin Durant is uh is all alone, but he sees LeBron coming trying to do one of those uh those closeout blocks, and he you can tell you see him look at LeBron and he's like you can see in his eyes like fuck this I'm gonna dunk the fuck out of this ball I'm gonna dunk it and he goes mm, and it's a breakaway and LeBron doesn't <laughs> even challenge it but he goes mm, and then that was that was that's one of the examples where you know it was also a, the Christmas game. In 2017, where he's playing, it's one-on-one, and I think it was like, Le- this is when uh, Kevin was getting like Defensive Player of the Year talk in twenty seventeen twenty eighteen season, and they faced it. W- and they faced the Cavs. This was when like the last year that LeBron was there, and there was a defensive stop. Um, I think um, that Kevin had on LeBron, and he's just going crazy. And I remember he was he was ga- he was juiced after that game. He was really excited. Those matchups like against. And I I wasn't there when he was when he, when Kevin was playing against Steph, but I know that he had those there was a little oomph when he was playing against LeBron and some t- and Giannis as well as one of those other guys.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. KD really respected the big picture of the league. All the guys coming in was really like a scout, you know, like loved certain young guys, stuff like that. But anytime a forward was on his corner, you know, he handled it. The You know, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than this guy. And had a real competitiveness to it that I think is one of the reasons he was so great. The LeBron-KD thing, you Know Lebron's had a better career, Lebron is the second best player of all time. I think Lebron, how physical and durable he is. I don't know if KD's gonna, I don't know how he's gonna age as he gets into his mid late 30s, but KD is certainly the best guy who's gone who's gone mano a mano against him that I saw. You could say, um, what I
2: wanted, I was gonna say Kawhi, but I think we get lost. Like Lebron dominated that series against Kawhi in 2014, he played really well, but um. Kevin it's a it's a complicated case man because Kevin the balance of power in the NBA shifted when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors and in part because he outplayed LeBron in two straight series man and then um LeBron, and I remember the la- before Kevin got out of the uh, before he got injured in 2019 Man, did he look like the best player in the league when he was playing against the Clippers. It was everything seemed so easy for him. Everything. I I don't know. Like when they were I remember the two games in L.A. I think he dropped 50. Everything seemed so easy, man. It seemed like he was just playing against nobody, bro. Like that that was that was ridiculous. And he has a right to be upset to say like, yo, I outplayed LeBron. What about me? I'm supposed to be the best dude in the league. And I am. I my at this point, my resume says I'm the best player in the league at this particular point. So I get him on that. Um, and that's why I think that that's that's what – I feel like that's what goes through Kevin's mind when he plays against LeBron. Like, yo, man, I'm coming at your neck because I am one of the few guys. And I think Curry is one of those two dudes, too, that can really, like, gets into LeBron's head. But, but Kevin is a different case because he can go mano a mano. They play the same position. That's why that shot in Game 3 of 2017 was just so – so gangster, man, because he just did it. He just stepped in and just, ah. And, yeah. and that's why uh, I think he really gets up for LeBron, and I love watching them two play against each other because Le- Kevin's at the level to where he can just, where LeBron has to deal with him on a night base,
0: nightly basis. Yeah, I did a few podcasts with them that summer in 2017, and you could feel it shifting in his head as the summer went along where he thought, we did a pod the night after they won, and he was just like, you know, I'm the best I'm the best player in the world. I just I just beat LeBron in a playoff series. We had pretty even teams. The mm-hmm. warriors were slightly better, but it wasn't like a crazy difference, you know? And yeah. that's it. Now people know. I just and then it was like that didn't happen. Yeah. And then yeah. I think that led to all the decisions for the next two years. It's like, well, wait a second. So well, that and, and I, I don't, don't get credit. I don't yeah. get credit for beating this guy. This is still Curry's team. What's going on here? And that, you know. Yeah,
2: I I think that, um, you know, Kevin always, you know, talks about, I think it was bigger than just, um, you know, if you talk to him about it, I think it's bigger than just uh, the, you know, the stuff that's out there with Draymond, you know. He's always said that that's been, uh, you know, know,
0: overblown. That was Um, the nail in the coffin, though. The coffin had been bought. and was was in the in the morgue, but that was the nail I think there was one other instance I was a nail in the coffin
2: according to him, and I think that there was uh it was I, he just i think around that that uh February was when like things got the february twenty nineteen was when things got like dicey, but he always remained steadfast that like he was planning on staying he always says that like he, he thought he was going to stay at least another year, you know, and I think that at least um and so when you, he pushes back on that notion, I, I don't know if I believe him, but I know that when people were pretty much pre, people pretty much checked out that he was going to leave by the first round of the – of the uh, probably earlier, but they were op- – coaches and players were openly talking about him going to New York the first round against the Clippers in 2019. They were like, okay, I guess he's – we don't know which team he's going to in New York, but we know he's probably going to dip that was it was an open secret that he was that he was going to leave among Warriors staffers they were like okay he's gone he's gonna leave um i, I remember think just they felt that way
0: in december january though
2: yeah but at least for me because at least to me they were just like well no, you felt I like finished. it was done that it was just done that it was yeah. done and i and i think i was just a bit uh i think i was a bit naive to that but he they were openly saying like nah it's over like this is why we have to do this now. And you know, when you look back, when you're in the when you're in it, um, you know, I, the tea leaves are always there. Like Steve Kerr was just saying, you know, we need to enjoy this moment. In the in the in the uh, media in the first media day, he was like, we need to enjoy this moment. You know, it's probably never going to be like this again. And at the time, we're like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, what do you mean? Like Steph's gonna Steph's under contract. Clay's probably gonna resign. Like, what are you talking about? They're they're probably going to. Still going to be a dynasty? What do you mean? But then gradually it was like, oh. And I remember the first part. I Before that, it's ironic. But before the 2018-19 season, I had ne- covering Kevin, I had never seen him that happy before in that media day 2018. I had never seen him that excited to play. Um, and then it just gradually just got like, okay, you know, all the stuff started happening. And then it was a foregone conclusion that he was gone, you know, by the by the end.
0: Were you covering that Clippers game when him and Draymond, when it fell apart on the court? Uh,
2: I, was not, I was not in L.A. when that happened. I was third on the beat with the Mercury News at that point. Um, I remember watching that at the house and was just like, because I wasn't traveling at that point, but I remember um, the next game, how eerie it was. I forget the team that they played, but Kevin went off. Um, Kevin went off that game, but it was just eerie. That was the first time it just it didn't seem fun in that locker room. You know, it didn't seem it seemed like that was the first time when it seemed like there was factions in the locker room. And it was weird because I don't know if you were have you've been in the Warriors locker room or were in the Warriors locker room. But like Kevin, Kevin's locker right there was like two lockers stalls away from Draymond's. So they had to deal with that. It was it was always there. Like it wasn't like he was on the other side. Like no, nah, only person that separated them was I think Quinn Cook and Andre Iguodala was the only two people that that separated them. But it was eerie. It wasn't it wasn't as like lively after that time. It was you know it wasn't it just wasn't. And I don't think that ever. I don't think it ever got back to the form that you know my first year being on that beat.
0: I still have a video on my phone from that game because I was there and I watched. I saw everything and I saw mm-hmm. when. You know, it was last play regulation. KD was calling for it. Draymond had the ball. And instead of passing it ahead, Draymond kept it. And KD was, like, slapping his hands. Yep. And then yeah. well, I think Draymond lost The Time ran out. And then KD yelled at him. And Draymond took it really personally. And they walked back to the bench. So I just kind of watched them go back. And I taped the tail end of it on my phone because I was like, this is crazy. They're screaming at each other. They're being separated. Yeah. And then you could see it, like, boogie comes in at one point and he's pushing i think kd out in the court or he's holding draymond somebody's he's pushing, pushing KD he's, toward t- he's the court. telling
2: he's telling there's a camera that he's telling uh draymond to lock in this is after he like curses everybody out and then boogie pulls him to the side and is like yo lock in and draymond's like fuck him fuck him like you know what i mean you can see it on camera yeah and um but that was one of those things it wasn't it was one of those things where it was a lot of built-up stuff. And you That's, notice, Like, when you blow up on stuff, somebody, it, it's not, it has nothing to do with that play, right? Like, you can get over, like, yo, pass me the ball. All right, bro, I got you. That's usually how it goes after that. But there was so much built-up tension over the the months before that. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Are you with us or not? And honestly, I feel like, um, you know, Dre wanted – Dre wanted that confrontation because he always wants confrontation. That's what get gets him going. That's why he yells at the benches. That's why he yells all that stuff. I think if um, and Kevin's just the dude that's like, all right, whatever. Like, but I think Draymond wanted Kevin to be like, say something. Like, say something. Right. Fight me. Like, please fight me. And Kevin is like, why? For what? Like, <laughs> why would I? Like, for what? That doesn't. I'm not gonna do it. And then and but. I think Draymond equates like back-to-back combat, like all of that, as like you're yo yo, you're with us. And I feel like if 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 Kevin would have responded the way Draymond wanted him to respond, I think the rest of the year would have been a lot different.
0: I am uh, when when guys fight on a basketball court or they argue, whatever. I to me, it's like normal, and maybe it's because I used to play basketball way back when, like. Yeah, you're gonna yell at each other. That's just the way it goes. To me, that's a sign of a healthy relationship. Sometimes it felt different yeah. in the room that night. It 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 definitely was not healthy. And please you believe that
2: wasn't the please believe that wasn't the first time Draymond had yelled at Kevin. Like that just was that was not the first time. Yeah, that but they this, had,
0: this one uh, they, felt there was a yeah, level that's What I'm saying, of the, and also like the way people, the other people reacted to the situation. That that yeah. was the other key. It wasn't like ah, oh, they're just let them blow off some steam. This was like we have to keep. Dra- this is we're actually going to have a fight in the huddle here. Um, yeah.
2: What's funny though is like Draymond. Everything I've heard was like really calm after the game. Like was chilling and was smiling and was just like. And I I think I talked to to Jackie Mack about it, and she said he was like chilling, smiling. I'm good. Cause that's what he needs. To, like, it's not. I don't think yelling and cursing and screaming is personal to Dre. Like, yeah, it can be, but I don't. I think that he could say some just wild shit and just be like, okay, that was that. I'm good. I needed to get that out. You want to go What do go to you of?
0: I talked about this on a pod last week about how bizarre his offensive season has been, and he <laughs> and Saturday night, I think he had two points and but 14 assists and 12 rebounds. He yeah. was like all over the place, but. Doesn't seem like he can shoot threes anymore, nor does he really want to be. And this was a guy that I felt like when they needed him to be pretty good offensively, he could do it. And that's just gone. What's what's the reason for that? Does it come back? I think Draymond needs
2: stakes. I think Draymond needs real stakes to ball out. And um, I think his last great season was... His last, like, great full season was 2016-17, and that was when um, they had lost the finals. They had just gotten Kevin. A lot of people – a lot of shit was coming at the Warriors that year um, in terms of it's a super team. You guys got Kevin. He's, you know – what. and he really wanted – that was his – when he won defensive player of the year, that was the last time he was locked in for the full season. Um, but there's been stretches since then. And I, and it's not a coincidence that the best basketball that Draymond plays is when they're in a postseason game or there's a regular season game that matters. Like the 2019 finals, he was – the 2019 finals and 2019 playoffs lights out, averaging triple-double, all that. When there's no stakes, you're the worst team in the league. He, there was some times where he just didn't play last year. He just how didn't, about Game you know. Seven,
0: two thousand sixteen? He was incredible that game.
2: Incredible, but he needs that. He needs that edge, and I think that Draymond is. And I think that's why it's so hard to really pinpoint Draymond's legacy because he's a really great player on a really great team. He can elevate a great team, but when you the team isn't great, you see all those other things. You know, he can't probably can't shoot as well, right? He probably can't, um, and he can't pass it to like. It's different when you're passing to Kevin Durant versus when you're passing to Kelly Oubre. You know, it's just a different vibe. And um, he's also, you know, he's starting to be locked in over the last few games, but he needs that pressure. He needs that to get off. He needs to talk shit. He needs to be able to yell at some people. He needs um, it to be a game seven stakes. That's what he needs, and I think that he hasn't had that, and we're seeing the other side of his game right now.
0: You know who he reminds me of? And I'm so happy to do this to you because I get to bring up the mid-'80s Celtics, my favorite Uh thing to do in a podcast. All right. Very reminiscent of Dennis Johnson. Okay. Who was a big-stakes guy who was kind of never seemed like he was totally in shape. And when he was in shape, it was like a big deal, and there would be a news article about it. Um, Who really needed to be with great teammates to kind of untap his own greatness. And if you put him with mediocre people or... There was a game where Bird and McHale weren't playing or something. He wasn't somebody that could be like, all right, I'll, I'll score 35 tonight, but was yeah. awesome. and was a winning basketball player whose IQ was ridiculous and who you just wanted out there anytime the stakes were high. And that's, I think, I think it's a short list over the course of NBA history of guys like that, that you just would want them out there when the stakes are high.
2: I mean because since you threw us some celtics side uh, it's only right that i throw some lakers guys that go ahead, do similar it. Vein. Go ahead. I, I think like uh without like the the bruster i think lamar odom is another guy like that that you that sometimes floated but when the stakes were down what the lakers did that was balling out ron artest is another guy that you i would watch some games in 09 10 where you're like regular season game, like well, what are you doing ron and then you would go and game seven of the finals biggest stakes balls out wins the game for you. Um there's some guys like that in the league. Draymond's one of those guys who just needs it, bro. Like 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 uh Stack says he makes love to pressure, man. Like he needs that pressure. And when he doesn't have it, it's just like, "Well, what am I doing right now?" Like there's nothing to play
0: for right now. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. They right now they're uh they're a 9 seed. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, all these teams are bunched together. You have the Portland's at number 6, at 12 and 10, and then Memphis is at or New Orleans is at number 12 at 10 and 12. Dallas is 11 and 14. It's it's going to be a hodgepodge. What's cool about this year is the playing game. Yeah. And the Warriors, I'm sure,
2: that's going to be just, a fun playing team. They just want to get
0: to the playing game, right? Because it's like, all right, if we, even if we're a nine seed or a 10 seed and we have to win two, we're going to win two. We're the Warriors, you know, and conversely, mm-hmm. you're a team like, I don't know, Sacramento and you're a seven seed, you're feeling good. But if it's a 7-10 matchup with Sacramento, Golden State, who are you picking? You I'm know, picking
2: Golden State, bro. Yeah, I'm picking every Golden time. State. <laughs> every time. Every time. Yeah.
0: So it'll be fun to watch them. I, You know, the weird thing about this season, we only have 50 games left now, maybe even less for some of these teams. So you kind of have to – can't really fuck around anymore. Like Miami's 9-14. and Like at some point, the switch has to go off.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting, man. Another thing that's going to be interesting, and I was looking at this um, – that I was looking at this before we got on the pod was next year is the last year of Steph Curry's deal and I'm not saying that Ooh. I'm I'm not saying that he's going to leave Charlotte? I'm not saying this LaMelo? I'm not saying this <laughs> what I'm saying is this is the first time where Steph really has he's never had this much leverage to um you know cuz last time he was up for a deal you know there was there was no doubt that he was going to stay with the Warriors right now he has leverage to Tell the Warriors, hey, listen, I'm going to need you guys to improve this team. I'm going to need you guys to make real moves to, to be a championship contender. I'm not saying he's doing that. I'm saying he has the leverage to do that. Um, and that's going to be really interesting because um, he has not sign an extension. Um, so that's going to be something to look at is all.
0: I'm I would say this. considering the Warriors spent $71 million on the Kelly Oubre transaction, they're probably willing to pony up for our guy's stuff. But the thing is though, the thing the is Charlotte though, the thing just, is. I've always thought the Charlotte thing was an interesting wrinkle. I really <laughs> I've always thought it.
2: I don't know about all that. I do think that, you know, in order for them to get to a title contention, they're gonna have to trade one of those big, those big pillar pieces, honestly. I think that's just what it is. Well, um, it'd be Wiseman
0: at, or it'll be that Minnesota pick, or both.
2: R- right. Um, you know, and I think that or either there's one or two things that have to happen. That to trade for another like all-star level player. Preferably a front court guy, or Wiseman just has to turn into David Robinson like in two years. He just has to turn into like somebody really ridiculously great. But just Steph has that. Just, I'm just saying, Steph has that last year of his deal is next year, and he, you know, he has that leverage that he just never has had before.
0: So, Steph LaMelo, Gordon Hayward. I- your words, not mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, so, real ones. It's what. What are the nights
2: on real ones? Uh, it comes out on Mondays and Thursdays. Thursdays we try to get a guest in. Um, Thursdays yeah. is the guest show. Uh, Mondays we talk about NBA. I love Roger's perspective on the league. Um, We basically just use um, things that happen around the league for Roger to tell stories about what happened during his career, and it's really fun, man. He's really—I know you know this—you've had him on your pod. He's really good at what he does, man. He's really good at at uh, at podcasting. So um, I'm really excited to be working with him, man. And I think I think we're only going to grow. I think we're doing really great right now, and I think uh, we got some stuff in store.
0: Well, we also. I don't know if people know this but we had a scare with Roger. We were worried Nash was going to hire him away right after you guys you guys hooked up together on the pod. It was going well. Was <sighs> like, "Oh man, this is something." And then Nash That's got a the That's a joke that job. we
2: always throw out there. That's the oh joke my that God. we always put out there. Yo, we got to have we've been trying to have you on for a segment. We have the we have the uh real one of the week. We also have um
0: we I'm ready. Just just text me. I'm ready to come Bro, on. Pour out
2: a little liquor. You're supposed to pour out some liquor. No, for the I Celtics couldn't do that. Lashes. You
0: asked me to pour out liquor
2: the Celtics. <laughs> I was I was traumatized. Also, we introduced another one. I don't know if you're a Biggie fan. Remember the mad the mad rapper. Remember yeah. the Mad Rapper? We have the Mad Hooper now, though where we just have a segment for the Mad Hooper. It's really good. We have a lot of things going on right now on the real ones, man. Just tap into the real ones, bro. We have a lot of stuff that we're building right now. Hey, and come out, come out to talk Celtics talk. If you ever want to talk Celtics talk, come through and just talk about the league. Just slide through the real ones. Well,
0: we um you and I will see each other in a couple weeks because there's a rewatchables that we're doing. I w- I don't want to give the movie away, but it's it's gonna be it's, uh, it's, it's gonna good. be good. I forgive you for comparing Lamar Odom to Dennis Johnson. Good to see you, Logan (laughs) (laughs) Murdoch. See y'all. Talk to you soon. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, in the new, drum roll please, Fiery Buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, US only. All right, as promised, Kevin Clark is now back. Um... We, we, I wanted to stack this after the NBA, because I literally have no idea how many people want to hear boxing MMA talk on a podcast. You are one of my favorite, uh, fight fan people in my life, only because I only have like three fight fan people in my life. You're one of them. Um, boxing
1: match you're most excited for in 2021. Uh, Fury Joshua. Is, is is the number one um, because it's the only one where it seems like things are actually progressing towards a deal. I don't know anything else that's going to happen in 2021. Like everything, you know, Wilder and Fury was supposed to fight again. And then that there's some weird contractual thing. And now Mark Breland, Wilder's former trainer, who he fired for throwing in the towel, is saying that Wilder's career is over. Everything is so muddied in every other avenue of, of boxing that all I want to see is... Fury versus Joshua in England. I mean, there have been so many different scenarios thrown around. Are they going to fight on a boat? Are they going to fight in, you know, a in England? Is it? Yeah. What I mean, that, that was thrown around. I think it was Klitschko. Maybe it was Klitschko versus Joshua. One of the one of the options there was that they were going to fight on some yacht, and they were just going to have like a bunch of rich people put pay a million dollars each to go or whatever. They're um, going to
0: fight that, on the boat from Ozark in the Carolinas. The Jason Bateman casino boat just being the top shelf. That'd be cool.
1: <laughs> uh, no, so I, I think I think that fight will happen and that that's what I want to see. I wish... The only thing I wish is that, that those sort of... Um, those British fights need a British crowd. And I, I I could wait for post-vaccine for that.
0: Yeah, it seems... The, the interesting thing to me will be Cinco de Mayo. Perennially an incredible boxing weekend. And whether they could get their shit together in time. And if they do, I, I don't think it'll be... I think your scenario of like a boat or Dubai, you know, some well, Qatar fight, fight island, some sort of fight weird place. where the UFC yeah, is fight thing, island, yeah. like it'll be something like that. But we're gonna have a cinco de Mayo fight. We
1: always do. We do, and I would also say the big thing is so a couple of these fights have happened in uh, football stadiums, but with arena style capacity. So you stretch, you you ha- you get fifteen to twenty thousand people in a sixty seventy thousand seat venue, which I also think could happen pre vaccine. Is there an under 27 guy you're like delighted about in any division, not just heavyweight? I would say that Ryan Garcia is probably the most uh, exciting prospect just as far as popularity goes. I don't think he's, I think, you know, I was hearing people talk the other day. If he fought Tank Davis right now, Tank Davis would probably uh, tag him pretty good. Um, But I also think that he has, that both those guys have real superstar potential. Um, I think that that whole. That whole weight class and the young guys there, whether that's Devin Haney, um, I, mean, I think there's just a lot of, of young talent in boxing, um, especially at the the lower weight classes. So I think Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, Tiafimo Lopez, that whole crew. Um, I think that I love the Tiafimo Lopez Lomachenko fight it was one of the most interesting things. It almost reminded me a little bit of the it's Super Bowl, a good one. right? Yeah. So it reminded me of a little Super Bowl because we were giving Lomachenko the benefit of the doubt the whole fight. And it turns out he was just getting his ass kicked. And I think the, the announcers were like, well, he's downloading information. This is what he does. He downloads information. The first two rounds. He didn't fight for like six out. rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And then anything. it was just like, wait. And then you're just like, in the seventh time, you're like, oh, wait, he's just getting his ass kicked. And it reminded yeah. me a little bit of the Chiefs where it's like, okay, well, wait till they make these adjustments. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. The Bucks are just way better. And so T.F.M.O. Lopez, to me, I heard Brandon Schaub talk about this the other day, where it was just like no one, I guess Tiafimo Lopez's dad, said that no one is calling out Tiafimo Lopez. And there's a reason for that. It's because Tiafimo Lopez is awesome.
0: It's funny that Canelo has officially turned into, and this should be its own, you know, they have like the pound for pound greatest boxer. There should also be the title of, you fucking idiot, you bet against blank. That championship belt. Canelo is now that guy because I talked myself into, I did like a big, the English guy that he fought the last time. I was like, oh, huge money line. Why not? Maybe, you know, COVID, maybe Canelo's not in yeah. shape. And within two seconds, you're like, I'm an idiot. I should have just set money on fire. Canelo is the guy to me now that it's like, if you're going to bet against him, considering how much better he's gotten each year, I would say for the last five, each year, it feels like he adds something. Betting against him is just dumb. And I don't see a scenario where anybody beats him the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, Cal- uh, Callum Smith was the British guy, uh, not his his best night. I would say that generally I, I learned my lesson, I think. I've always thought Canelo was amazing. I learned my lesson when I started to doubt him sort of months or weeks before the Kovalev fight. And I remember talking to people at DAZN and elsewhere. And I remember being like, man, that weight difference is pretty huge. Like, shouldn't we be worried about this? Shouldn't we be talking about this more? And everybody was like, no, no, we shouldn't be. It doesn't matter. And it gets, to, it's like it's like the Mahomes, right? Where it's just like, nah, none of this weight, weight class doesn't matter. He's just going to beat the shit out of him. And so um, I think he's amazing. I also think from a business standpoint, the fact that he's now a free agent, kind of a, the Brady model that you talked about, he, he wasn't mm. going to stick with Oscar. Um, there's going to be a lot of movement there. And he's taking control of his own career in the same way Floyd Mayweather did and some of these other guys. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, the Callum Smith-Canelo fight was one of those fights. It was at the Alamo Dome in in san antonio and they were able to just spread it out a little bit um so i think that there's i think that the possibilities for him um he's fighting at the end of this month uh and i think that there there's probably some bigger fights for him on the horizon a lot of different possibilities i'm excited for the canelo experience the next two years well he's gonna do the thing that the, all the great ones do he's gonna start
0: rising up the divisions you know, yeah, he's
1: already doing it. Yeah. I he's, mean, it,
0: it keeps going. It always goes two divisions further than you ever expected it to. I remember like Tommy Hearns by the end was like a light heavyweight. <laughs> it was
1: like, he there as a Roy, welterweight.
0: Right. Yeah. Roy like Jones Roy, is Roy, Roy another Jones Jr. One. Yeah. Roy Jones yeah.
1: Jr. Yeah. Can, all of a sudden, Canelo's going to be fighting Tyson Fury in four years. I'm like, oh, Yeah, seriously. Happened. I um, like, <laughs> I
0: honestly, I wouldn't rule it out. It's always two divisions higher than you ever thought. Um, I was watching he's the amazing. Fox. I think it was two Saturdays ago. Fox had a big four hour card. And it was a really bland telecast, right? Brian Kenny was doing the play-by-play, which was great. I love Brian Kenny, but um, for the most part, it was this telecast that was out of nineteen ninety-five. There was no gambling talk, really, at all. It was just kind of the slow, like, like, like the whole gambling revolution that hadn't happened. And I realized mm-hmm. that weird re- that weird Tyson Jones pay-per-view I thought was a portent of the future, and it's strange to me that. Everybody who does, shows boxing has not realized that yet. It should be bets, 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 constantly odds going up and down, whatever you're seeing. It should be a daily. like I I'm surprised Fox didn't have Sal on there. I would have had Sal as like the third person just talking knockout props and all this stuff to me, that Tyson thing opened up this door for how to make boxing more fun. And I'll be interested to see when the industry catches up to it. What do you think?
1: well i would even expand that i would say that the paul brothers like what knockout went more viral than jake paul knocking out nate robinson right like right. I mean, that that was that was amazing Um, And now Ben Askren's involved in that and Floyd Mayweather's fighting one of the Paul brothers. I don't know. Um, I'm in agreement with you. I think boxing and betting on boxing is really interesting. And the prop bets, the most money I've ever made in my life on a bet is getting the exact round of McGregor Mayweather. Um, I really enjoy that. And it just gets to be a strategy of it. Does it go the distance? Whatever. Um, And so, yes, I think betting can, can help boxing. I would say there's a lot of I guess you'd call them niche sports. They can be helped by the legalization of betting. Golf is certainly one of them. I'm, I might have a golf. golf gambling problem at this point. Yeah. Um, I certainly have a boxing betting problem. Um, that that is confirmed. But I yes, I I'm in agreement. They should be talking about this stuff. That before every round, the odds should be up for for knockout in this round for each guy. Um, over under five and a half rounds for some of these these mismatches. And the announcers should be literate. The announcers
0: should be literate in the whole thing. And that's the other piece they're missing. They need that third person in telecast who just completely understands how to talk about it. And none of them, they all have the old Al Bernstein type of old guy with the boxer and the play-by-play guy who talks a little too much. And that's just how they do it. And I would like to see it evolve. Or give me another channel. Give me the same telecast on a different channel. And it's just like, the crazy
1: gambling version of the same thing I'm watching. I uh, yes, a hundred. There are so many ways you could innovate it. And and I think the gambling gambling would be number one. I think that I, I, what do you think about the sort of the idea for UFC uh, that's been tossed around that the cards should be announced before the final round? Have you I thought don't about, like have that. You heard about this?
0: Okay. I've heard of, I've heard it. I, I think it affects it too much. Because if somebody knew they, would, if somebody knew they were locked in, they would just run for that whole round, right? So what, what would be the incentive of that guy to fight?
1: Well, I think you'd see the desperation in the other guy. You can't. I mean, can you run around for twelve rounds or for for three minutes? I guess is the question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. it works better in MMA. I'm not really sure. But I, I'm in agreement with you. They there are the, the gambling thing to me is one of the most fun things and. I think there's some interesting numbers you can throw out there w- with regards to boxing. And I think there's just ways I think we're going to see. I know this is the strangest thing in the world, but we're going to see some youth interest in this because of some of the publicity stunts. And because, yeah, of the, listen, I went to that. My son, Logan Paul. my son, watched watched the, the, the Nate Robinson fight because the Paul brother yeah. was in it. I went to the fight, the Paul brother fight at Staples Center and Israel Adesanya, who's a UFC champion and one of the best fighters I've ever seen was sitting, it was me, Alyssa Bereznik, and Pat Muldowney. And the UFC champion was sitting behind us just as a fan. Like that's what wow. you needed. And it was there to watch Logan Paul. Like it, this is it, it it attracts a wide variety of fans. And yeah. I think that there's there's just something there. And like people like boxing. Like the the old joke is like boxing is the most popular sport in the world because if two people are outside your door playing football or playing tennis, you're going to ignore them. But if two people outside your door are punching each other in the face, you're going to go look, right? And I do think at its most basic part, like people will watch a fight between two people. And once that happens, you will get a certain percentage hooked on the actual sport. And that's why I think it's really interesting when you see these sort of fights. And I think that the Floyd Mayweather fight against, I'm not sure. I think it's Logan Paul. It's going to be a spectacle. It's going to be, it is Logan Paul. It's going to be ridiculous if we saw. So Mayweather fought a uh, kickboxer a couple of years ago in an exhibition. And if you watch that, it looks like he's taking it easy until the kickboxer kind of tags him a little bit. And then Mayweather was like, oh, is that what we're doing? And then the fight was over. Like Mayweather just unloaded yeah. on the guy. And I think there's a real possibility that that happens with, with Logan Paul. This, is, is, my, this a, is my Mayweather take.
0: Is there a UFC fight put possibly in 2021 that titillates you?
1: I mean, Khabib has to come back it has to happen and you know i i th- i've seen Khabib versus Poirier before and i didn't like it so i don't know what that looks like the all ol- you know the dream matchup always is george st. pierre against Khabib. and for some reason that that hasn't even that's rumored every 6 months and someone's like oh it might have oh he's so one of them's re-, re- re-enrolling in the in the drug testing they're coming back and that then the, the two minutes later they're like that's actually not going to happen um, so that would be the dream matchup. Um, I would say obviously Stepe versus Francis Ngannou. Um, those, so that's for the heavyweight championship. Those two guys fought in Boston three years ago, the night before the Jaguars Patriots game I actually went as a fan. I bought a ticket and Ngannou was just not ready to go. Um, the word is he didn't train all that hard for that one. He'd gotten so into his punching power. Um, and his punching power works like you and I were joking after the the fight island or the uh, Jacksonville fight he had where he that was the first knockout you've ever seen where Ngannou was he was walking backwards and he managed to knock the guy out. Um, and so his punching power is legit. I think that it, he will probably have a better all around game. And that's going to that's going to make the Stipe fight close because the Stipe fight three years ago was not close. Stipe knew exactly what to do with him and did it. And so for me, if, as far as fights that are happening, it's Stipe versus Ngannou and it needs to be a lot closer than it was three years ago. Kevin
0: Clark, congratulations on an incredible Florida renaissance, just across the board. <laughs> the Rays, the Bucks, the Lightning, um, the Orlando Magic heading toward Cade Cunningham. It's just, it's all it's all been great. It's all coming up Florida these days. Jacksonville, <laughs> Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. Congratulations. I, I,
1: I root for one of those teams, and it's the worst one you mentioned. Yeah, Wish you have called Anthony.
0: Stealth rookie of the year bit if LaBella Ball ever gets hurt. Uh, Kevin Clark, thanks for uh thanks for a great NFL season. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Bill.
0: All right, that's it for the BS Pod. Back on Thursday with one more, don't forget about the rewatch. rewatchables, well, Taxi Driver, Me Fantasy, Bill Hader Enjoy the rest of the day.